following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Our second reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Uh, thank you for that reading, Doug, and for leading us in that part of our service. And uh, the confusion about where the text should have ended is my fault, not Doug's fault, by the way. I'm focusing mainly on the first part of the text today. Um, but that was the whole, the whole part that the lectionary gives us. At any rate, while I'm in the business of thanking people, thank you to all of you who are here in the room with me today at Artisan Church, uh, helping to make this work in the best way we know how. And again, I'll be talking more at the end of the service about what we're doing and why. And uh, But for now, suffice it to say thank you to those who have joined us in the room to help us see what's going on. And, and for everybody who's doing the tech stuff here, I'm very grateful. Definitely could not do this on my own. So to start off, I have a question for you, which is, uh, how do you respond when somebody starts... Um, being a little bit pessimistic or negative, such as maybe like a, when a friend is sharing their pain or talking about conflict coming up, or maybe even just when somebody's complaining. So I wonder, uh, and you can put the answers in the Zoom chat if you'd like. I always love to read your responses. What do you do? Are you the type of person who just sits quietly and listens? Right. Or do you maybe quickly try to change the subject? <laughs> Do you argue with them and, and try to convince them, oh, hey, it's not that bad? Or do you maybe dive in deep because this kind of thing is your specialty? <laughs> Somebody says, I am the pessimist. Yes, that's kind of what I'm getting at with that last one. Um, and uh, we have other responses in here. Depends on where I am that day. Interesting, yeah. Del says, I like to listen. Avila says, I've learned that the, normally the best thing is to listen. Interesting, yeah. Michael says, empathetic listening with appreciative inquiry. Yes, I'll try to remember all those words the next time somebody's being negative around me. Uh, I listen, unless the person is a chronic complainer. <laughs> all right, and Matthias says, listen, that's wonderful. Good job, Tai Tai. 
Oh, trying to mirror what you hear. That's wonderful, Eileen. Yeah. <laughs> and Dan says, I have to forcibly stop myself from saying how many opportunities for good there are in whatever is being expressed. Okay. So there may be more, more answers in there, but uh, those who are attuned to the, the wonders of the Enneagram, uh, AKA evangelical astrology, um, they are all indicating that Dan is a seven. Yes. And we have a whole bunch of people in our church who might call themselves nines, which are tend to, they tend to be people who are maybe conflict averse and who want to be peacemakers and, and in a whole church of people who maybe, um, are, uh, we have that, that tendency overrepresented. We might have, um, we might have a group that would be kind of inclined to maybe change the subject or to say to somebody, don't be so negative or that kind of thing. Um, I personally am both sort of conflict averse at times. And also I tend toward optimism, perhaps to the point of naive optimism sometimes. So I can really relate to those of you who might be saying that you would try to sort of paper over the negativity or move past the negativity. And I can really relate to Peter in this gospel story that we're looking at today, who, when Jesus began to talk openly about the suffering that he would have to endure, Peter actually rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? It's a pretty tall order. It tells you something else about Peter's personality, that he was willing to rebuke Jesus, who he had just said was the Messiah. <laughs> they scolded Jesus for being so negative, saying, don't talk like that. Don't say that. That's not going to happen. Besides, the people are listening right now. We're trying to build a movement here. It's pretty hard to do that when you're talking about dying. So we're in the season of Lent, and I've got this series this, this season, this year, called Lent, Life After Suffering. And, and usually the season of Lent is a season of repentance and fasting and reflection and self-denial. But honestly... This whole year has felt like one long season of Lent, like we never even got an Easter. Tomorrow it will be March again, but it never stopped being March, did it? And so this year, while we engage with those same biblical texts around this season of Lent, we're, we're doing it in a little bit of a different way. And I'll explain more about that as I get to the end of the sermon here. Now, that being said, uh, I am going to start today with a premise that might seem contrary to what I've just told you. It might seem a little bit pessimistic and a little bit um, uninspiring, but the premise is this. As much as you might want to, like Peter wanted to, it is pointless to rebuke suffering. When Peter tried to get Jesus to clam up about all the suffering, Jesus rebuked him right back. And in no uncertain terms, he actually called Peter Satan. Interesting that Satan, the, the evil one, the accuser, the tempter, was associated with the suggestion that Jesus tried to avoid the suffering that awaited him. By the way, something else that Jesus taught elsewhere in the Gospels is to resist the temptation to assign a cause to suffering. 
which I feel like is 90% of what people who are engaging with the idea of religion try to do. <laughs> Jesus rejected outright on more than one occasion the, the idea that specific occasions of suffering were punishments for specific sins. I would love to give a whole sermon on that, but the lectionary doesn't quite point me there. However, you could read John chapter 9 or Luke 13, which is a really fascinating passage if you wanted to, to explore that idea a little bit more. The truth is, I think, and I believe it's consistent with what I'm talking about Jesus teaching, that suffering is an unavoidable part of the Christian life. Because suffering is an unavoidable part of the human life. And the New Testament readings make this clear. Uh, especially the letter of First Peter is just full of talk about how we are supposed to deal with suffering. And it's not an if you suffer kind of proposition. It's a when you suffer proposition. But this is not something that's unique to the Christian tradition. Other traditions know this as well. I mean, famously, the first noble truth of Buddhism is that suffering is an innate characteristic of existence in the world. So, if suffering is unavoidable for Christians, for humans, the question then becomes, what do we do with our suffering? I don't have an easy answer for you, but what I do want to do is share with you two options that I have in mind that you probably have already heard, and one option which might be new to you I think is better than the other two. So here's option one. We experience suffering because of Jesus. This is the explanation that you will often hear. We experience suffering because we are Christians. This absolutely has been true at certain times in history may still be true in certain parts of the world today. Starting with the apostles, Jesus' closest followers, all of whom, except for John, ultimately lost their lives because of their allegiance to Jesus in his way, sometimes in quite grotesque ways. Extending beyond the pages and past the history contained in the Bible to the early Christian church, where who knows how many people were martyred because Christianity arose within the Roman Empire and having a competing deity was not the way to keep your head on your shoulders in Rome. And we have accounts of early Christian martyrs scribbling down their last thoughts in the hallway into the Colosseum where they would be, where they would lose their lives. So in encountering suffering because of Jesus is definitely something that has happened in Christian history. But in this part of the world, martyrdom is not really a risk that we have to think all that much about day to day. Again, it does happen in other parts of the world, and we should remember the suffering of our siblings in Christ in other parts of the world. But the thing that has happened with this idea of explaining suffering with a because of Jesus kind of formulation 
is that in America, many Christians read these scriptures and know this history, and we can sometimes sort of find ourselves adopting a persecution complex. As if the only way to live for Jesus truly and fully would be to die for Jesus. Now, if you grew up in an evangelical youth group like I did, you probably heard a lot of this. The whole sort of mythology around the tragedy in Columbine, right? What would you do if someone came and threatened your life if you didn't renounce God? Not a question that most of us are actually going to be forced to deal with. So I guess what I want to say about this first option is this. If you happen to suffer because of Jesus, there's plenty of support in scripture and history for how to deal with that. But suffering because of Jesus is not something that you need to seek out in order to prove your worth to God. Suffering because of Jesus. That's the first option that you've probably heard before. Let me give you the second option that you've probably heard before, which I would call suffering for Jesus. It's a little different than suffering because of Jesus. Suffering for Jesus in its best form looks like what I might call personal holiness, right? By which I mean simply being willing to adjust your life in order to become more Christ-like. Now, that might involve certain sacrifices, or it might involve giving up certain things, changing behaviors or patterns of behavior that move you further from God. It's a very common thing to do during Lent, and some of you have, to give something up for this season. If you weren't drinking coffee, by now you might be suffering for Jesus a little bit, right? Now, again, the writings of the New Testament are full of this kind of thing. I mean, it starts with the words of Jesus in this very passage where he says, if anyone wants to uh, become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Which, by the way, is a striking thing for him to say, and we miss it so easily because we already know the end of the story of Jesus in the New Testament, which involved him on a cross. Imagine hearing that word in the Roman Empire where the cross was a symbol of governmental and um, imperial oppression. Before you knew its meaning within the Christian context to have this teacher say, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. So suffering for Jesus at its best looks like maybe personal holiness or self-sacrifice or some kind of self-denial in order to come closer to God. But at its worst, the idea of suffering for Jesus can end up looking like suppressing your own identity, uh, crushing the person that God actually made you to be. And I know that some of you have been told that you have to do that to follow Jesus. The only thing I can imagine that would be worse than that is to endure abuse 
especially within the context of an intimate relationship or a clergy relationship. And having that be explained as suffering for Jesus rather than a horrible act of violence. And if you have or are now experiencing abuse in a relationship, I want you to know that this is not your fault. It's not a violation of the Christian way to fight your way out of that situation, to leave the destructive relationship behind, to, to call the authorities, to do all the things that might, you might be told you shouldn't be doing if you're a good Christian who's willing to suffer for Jesus. That's a real get-behind-me-Satan kind of posture. Anyway, a certain amount of healthy self-denial is a good sign that your priorities are in order, but I don't actually think that always qualifies really as suffering anyway. And remember, Jesus did say that he came that we might have life, and not just any old life, but abundant life. That's John 10, 10. And so even if you are suffering for Jesus, the suffering itself is not the point. And you certainly don't need to seek out that kind of suffering just to check off a box. So sometimes you might think of suffering because of Jesus. That's option one. And sometimes you might think of suffering for Jesus. Option two. And the truth is that in this particular season on the church calendar, in a normal year, we might intentionally lean into those ideas. We might try to find ways to engage with that kind of suffering in a healthy way. Right? Perhaps those might be useful ways of framing the suffering that we're experiencing in our own lives. Ways to explain or understand what we're going through in a particularly bad time. But this year, suffering has come close to us, and it's been relentless. It's been nonstop. When suffering is this close, all those explanations seem very hollow anyway. All the frames you might try to put around it are broken. And so in Lent, in the year of our Lord, 2021, I think what we need right now is not a frame, not an explanation, but solidarity, empathy, community. In other words, to know that we're not alone in our suffering. So let me come then to the third option which I believe will give us all of those things and more. And the third option is suffering alongside Jesus. If suffering is inevitable and suffering because of Jesus and suffering for Jesus are not what's actually happening and aren't helpful ways of thinking about it anyway, perhaps what might be a helpful way of thinking about it is suffering alongside Jesus. 
which is something that I think only recently in my own evolution as a Christian has become incredibly meaningful to me. The idea that in the incarnation, in Jesus embodying the presence of God in a human being, in that, it's not just that we get saved in some spiritual sense. It's that God identifies with the human experience in this impossibly intimate way that includes suffering and even death. And of course, the the other direction on that incarnational highway is that we somehow identify with the divine. Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself, meaning Jesus, was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. What this means is that if you are suffering, you can find help in the idea that Jesus suffered as well. This to me is, has become one of the most deepest meanings of the cross, that whatever I endure in life, God has endured. I remember when I was a kid, uh, someone who was important to me in my life used to, we would, there was, there was a, a Catholic church in town that had a, a fairly graphic crucifix painted on the side of their chimney. And I remember someone speculating to me, why do Catholic churches leave Jesus on the cross like that? We know that Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Jesus isn't even in the tomb anymore. Jesus rose from the dead. So why would you put him back on the cross? And I never understood why you would until I encountered this idea of Christ identifying with us in our human suffering. And seeing Jesus on the cross, seeing a physical crucifix in a chapel or sacred artwork of a crucifixion, those are ways that we can be reminded that we never suffer alone, that God actually suffers with us. And so I wonder if you are a person who's, and how could you not be, um, a person who right now is acutely aware of the suffering in the world. I wonder if this is um, for you in these moments, in these days, just weighing you down. I wonder if suffering is just all too close right now if it might be a useful prayer exercise for you to find a crucifix. Here at Artisan, we we only have the, the empty cross on the wall.
Actually, it's not even on the wall again yet, but it will be soon. <laughs> so it wouldn't necessarily help to come here and look at our cross, but maybe you could make a little mini pilgrimage to a church in town that has a crucifix. I'm sure they'd let you sit in the pew and gaze at it. If you're an inside person, you could find some Christian art. There's a great deal of sacred art that contains images of the crucifixion, and I wonder if in a posture of prayer, sitting before that cross with that Savior on it, with that God, with that man, with that person, enduring the suffering of his own, I wonder if that might be meaningful and powerful and useful to you. Can I encourage you to do that? If you are at your wit's end in the suffering of the world and in your own suffering, find some image that helps you in prayer to suffer not because of Jesus and not even for Jesus, but to suffer alongside Jesus, to suffer with Jesus and for Jesus to suffer with you. May you find comfort and peace in the knowledge that you serve a God who suffers. Let me pray for us now. God, uh, we bless your name. We thank you for this deep and profound truth that in the incarnation, the eternal Christ took on human form, that Jesus bled and died and suffered at the hands of humanity under the mechanisms of the state and religion. And that means to us so many wonderful things. But on this day, in this season, in this year, May it be for us a reminder that you suffer alongside us and that our suffering is never a solitary experience because you've suffered as well. I pray for these people uh, of this community, of artists and church, that in their own suffering, they might find this week a way to pray and meditate on the sufferings of Jesus and that you, Jesus, would be real to them and close to them in that experience. Just as you would be real and close to us now, we pray in your name. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.